this. So, the, the big thing in our house this past week or so has been, well, several weeks, several months, has been preparing for the Peru trip. And um, just to bring everybody up to quick speed, on, we've got uh, 36 people that are going this year, which is 50% more than we've had for the past two years. And so I've forgotten what a, a group of 36 is like, coordinating 36 people and all of their finances. And of course, we're going to new places in Peru that we've never been before, so it means there's new transportation and new food sort of situations and new lodging situations that we have to deal with. But fortunately, God has given us Heather um, in Lima to do a masterful job of project managing all of those activities for us. And remember Heather, because she's, she's canceled the engagement with her former fiancé, so she's been through that. She's been through all the planning for Crossway. Her parents were coming for what was going to be the wedding anyway, so they're coming she had scheduled the wedding for when we would be there, and now that's all stopped. So there's just a lot going on in her life right now. That's pretty pretty powerful. Um, and then the second thing that's that's really important is that um, you know I've just finished teaching through Philippians, and the thing that really sticks with me in Philippians is this idea of partnership. Partnership between Paul and the Philippians in, in giving and receiving. In sharing the gospel together, of the of him calling out to them for unity of mind, unity of spirit, unity of action, and um, it's been really a blessing because so there's 36 of us going, and then we are going to link together with about 18 people from Lima Church from the church in Lima, and we're going to get on a big bus and we're going to ride to Nazca. And along the way, we're going to stop in Ica, and then another group of six or seven from Ica are going to join us. So when we get to Nazca, our 36 in the Crosswave team is now leveraged into 60 people, hitting this town of 20,000 people. Um, and of course, there'll be half of them speak fluent Spanish of the 60, and it's going to be a massive... A massive crusade, if you will, in Nazca, and the goal is to plant a church, is to work diligently this week. Actually, it's the pastor in Ica that, whose heart it is, is to go to Nazca. It's about three hours drive away and plant this church. And he shared this idea with Pastor Roberto, who's the, our contact in Lima, and he, he said, yes, that's a good idea. So this will be the third place like this that Crosswave has been to see a church established, which is really, really exciting. I want, I want you to just think about the partnership of going Crossway. There's 20-some churches in the Crossway team, and then there's a the church in Lima, then the church in Ica, all going together to Nazca to do God's work and plant a church in Nazca. So pray for us every day <laughs> from the June the 2nd to the June 20. June the 8th to June 22nd. Um, if you had told me this 10 years ago, that this is the type of things God would be doing, I would, I would not have believed you. I would not have seen how this would be possible. But uh, God is the God of the impossible.
the the other the one the other one other item I wanted to mention is that when we get there on Thursday we get there on Wednesday night and then Thursday starting Thursday night through running through Sunday they're having a missions conference at the church in Lima so again the pastor has really has really responded to God's call for this church to become a missionary sending church. And so he's having this missions conference, and they've invited me to speak the first night. So you're going to hear a dry run of the first night message. And basically, it's the church's, God, the church, God's path to missions. And with that in mind, let's bow for a word of prayer, and then we'll begin. Lord, you are the God of the impossible. Let us never forget that. Let us never be embarrassed by that. Let us never, Lord, walk away from that. Lord, we look to you and we ask you to do mighty things in these places that we've already just listed. Lord, we ask that the gospel go forth with great power and, Lord, with great conviction. Lord, we pray for safety. Lord, we pray for those that have already gone ahead of us, that you'd give them wisdom as they prepare. And Lord, we ask that you'd speak to each one of us today, that your word would be dear to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have several important questions I want to ask you. Because to answer a question, to be able to answer a question requires us to both work with truth and with wisdom. So I'm really calling you to work with some truth and some wisdom here this morning. Here's question number one. And you may have heard me ask this before. Why doesn't God immediately take us to heaven the moment we are saved? I mean, wouldn't that be easier? Just get saved, go to heaven. We'd avoid all the hardships of life on earth. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> there is a work of, of sanctification that needs to happen. But if God did this, if God took us to heaven the moment we were saved, who would be left on earth to represent God and his work through Jesus Christ? Who would be left to do that? If he did this, who would have shared the gospel with you? Who would have shared the gospel with you? Our world needs to see and to hear people who believe in Jesus. Because God will redeem a bride for his son. And this bride includes elect people from every tribe and language on this earth. So God doesn't take us to heaven once we're saved because he has a plan and a purpose for us. Question number two. How does God actually expect to save people from every tribe and language? What's his strategy? What's his plan? Well, the answer is clear when you read the scriptures. God's strategy to save people from every tribe and nation is to send his church throughout to reach them, wherever they might be. God's strategy to reach the world is you and me. If you've never attached yourself to that purpose, then that's that's the purpose we need to attach ourselves to, align ourselves with. That's why he left us here on the earth. That we might reach his bride from every tribe and nation. When Jesus commissioned the apostles to make disciples of all nations, 
They all understood that they were to teach every believer to obey all of Jesus' commands, even the command to make disciples of all nations. Therefore, Christ not only commissioned his church as a whole to this work, but he commissioned each and every member of his church to this work. No one in this church, no one here today, is excluded from the commission given directly by Jesus. It is our calling. What I mean is this, just as a church cannot tell God that they are too busy or too poor to follow his commands, neither can any individual. God has provided every church and equipped every believer with all the assets that he wants them to develop and to invest in the kingdom. And then on the other hand, no one person, no one church, in fact, no one country has all the people, all the plans or all the funding that God will use to reach the nations. The Great Commissions in this sense is not exclusive. It's going to take all of us. In every church, at all times, and in all places, working together to go and make disciples of all nations. Please understand that the goal of missions is more than simply evangelizing all peoples. The goal is to make disciples who obey all that Christ has commanded. Making disciples takes time and it takes community. To fulfill this commission requires that new churches be formed in every region of the world. It is great that mercy ministries provide clean water and prevent abortions and offer food for the hungry and rescue people from slavery and from sex trafficking and all of the other hosts of things that mercy ministries subscribe to. This is showing God's love for people and it's vital. It is the door for the next thing, which is preaching the gospel. People will not be born again if their hearts remain untouched by the power of the gospel of God. So the preaching ministry is necessary, but the church will lack love if it disregards the needs of the community and leaves them unmet. God's plan for his church is to love and to serve their local communities by proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and to yield the fruit of the spirit through his grace. God's goal for the church is to be his faithful witness to all the nations of the earth. That's how God expects to save people from these lands. Now, question number three. Does Jesus really have authority to tell us what to do? And I've been teaching this all year in Crosswave, and this is the question we come back to. Does Jesus have the authority to tell us what to do? And if you look at the scriptures closely, you'll find that yourself, you're, you're reading that he's telling you when you're supposed to give and, and your attitude about giving. He'll tell you when you're supposed to pray. He'll tell you when you're supposed to rejoice, when you're supposed to weep, how you're to live, how you're to give. He, he's, he's speaking to all of these areas of your life. He's speaking exactly the pattern of life that he desires. And so we ask when we ask, does he have authority to tell us what we what to do? When we ask, are we accountable to his plan, to his will, to his commands? Yes, we are. He has all authority. And it's not just authority over spiritual forces in high places. It's authority over us. It's authority over us. He bought us with his life, with his shed blood, and now we are to serve him. He commands how we are to live, to think, to rejoice, 
to give, to weep, and to proclaim the gospel. So we all agree that God leaves us on the earth to fulfill his plan to save a bride, and he has authority to tell us and give us these commands. So what does the work of missions look like for a church? And I want you to open your Bibles to Acts 13. We're just going to look at the first five verses of Acts 13. You know, we, we, the book is officially titled The Acts of the Apostles. But in many cases, it's interpreted as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And we'll see that really clear in this passage. Acts 13, 1 through 5. And I'll read it. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they had arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And you can read the rest of that. It's quite an uh, adventure that they found themselves on. But let me go back. Who is the principal speaker in this passage? Who is the one who gives the command? It's the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit of God who commanded the birth of missions. And not just in general, but by appointing two men. Missions was not a concept that even Paul invented. The idea of missions really was never in the Jewish mind. In fact, they normally did just the opposite. They worked to maintain a fierce isolation from all the surrounding nations. The spread of the gospel up to this point in Acts had been mainly through believers fleeing persecution and not intentionally going. They were fleeing persecution. And this changed this, this day in Antioch. Here, God set into motion the act of mission to change the world forever. It was this day God set into motion the mission to change the world forever. The idea to reach the world with the gospel for the glory of Jesus Christ was in God's heart from the beginning of time. But he waited until this moment. On this day, by the voice of the Holy Spirit, he assigned men this task. It's not too much to say that we are worshiping God today, the Bueller's home, because of the faithful obedience of the men that day in prayer in Antioch. The mission has continued and has never stopped. So while fasting and praying, while the leaders were fasting and praying, the Spirit told them to set apart these two men to a new work. So what did they do? Well, they quickly obeyed and they laid their hands on them. The laying on of hands has symbolized many things. Here, I believe it means to identify and confirm these men as being set apart 
for the work of the Holy Spirit, for the Lord's ministry. At this moment, from this moment on, these men would be united in the task of proclaiming the gospel to the world beyond their city. Then they sent them off. And then considering the many scriptures that teach about supporting the work of God, we trust that the Antioch leaders sent their first two missionaries with the financial assistance they needed. The second part of being set apart for the future is to be released from the past and present. The book of Acts names five prophets and teachers who served the church in Antioch. But now Barnabas and Saul were to be released from the local church responsibilities. The changes would be hard to make, and these two dynamic men would be sorely missed. But the leaders did not reject God's call of these two prophets. They released them to expand into the ministry that God desired. They didn't try to cling and hold on to these men and say, no, you can't go because you're too, too valuable to us here. They released them to the work of God. So this leads to another question. What does Jesus want to say to you and to, to, to Gateway? No matter your church's size, age, resources, or challenges, we are not powerless, poor, or alone. Christ's commands and his promises are here today. He rules all things, is always with us, will never forsake us, and he has plans for us. It's not my goal to persuade all of you to become a missionary to serve in a foreign country. But I do seek that everyone here live focused on seeing the Great Commission fulfilled. God's plan involves every member of Christ's body. So let us also listen as the Holy Spirit speaks and move in faith to respond to his commands. So what should be our plan of action? I want to consider four basic responsibilities that we find in this passage that churches have in preparing to join in fulfilling the Great Commission. The first, the first one, the first responsibility. Submit to the authority and the message of Christ in worship and study. Not only is Jesus the messenger sent to reveal the Father... Jesus is the message himself. We are not the message. And we are sent messengers, but we carry the message of Jesus Christ. And if you look from cover to cover in the scriptures, you'll see God's word reveals the message of his heart for the nations. It's not hidden. It's not under a basket. God reveals his desire and his plan to reach the entire community of the world. Billions of people live and die without ever hearing the good news of the gospel of Christ. They enjoy neither the worship of God nor the blessing of following his commands. This reality cannot be tolerable to the people of the church. We are called to worship and seek the glory of God. We are all to apply the truth of God to the most urgent spiritual and physical needs that surround us in the world, even to lost peoples from different nations and languages. Lost people need the hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. As you see God's heart for the world, as you study his word, let it inform and govern how you make him known. Attach yourself to this commission. It is our responsibility and our privilege to do so. 
We're not just passing time. We're engaged in God's heavenly purpose. Second question, or second point. Ask Jesus, what is next for me, Lord? What is next for us? What more do you have for us? The leaders at Antioch weren't busy watching TV. They weren't sleeping, taking naps. They were fasting and praying as God had directed them before. And if you look back in Acts 11, you'll read about the same guys and you'll read about Agabus who stood up and he, under the power of the Holy Spirit, he talked about a, uh, a famine that was coming and called them to give. So they were... These men in, in Antioch were, were listening carefully to what the Spirit was saying. And they worked to obey it. Prayer was their practice. Some today don't really see the need for the spiritual discipline. But in Acts, God shows us that prayer and fasting were fundamental for God's people. It should be the same for us. For through prayer and fasting, every one of us can call on God to send more workers into the harvest. Through intercession, we can call for God's truth to heal broken lives at home and far away. Through prayer, every church can continually engage in God's mission and join his work of reconciliation that he's doing right now among Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and atheists. God designed kingdom-oriented prayer for this exact purpose. I mean, why did God design prayer? To fulfill his plan and purpose in the world. God designed prayer to advance his work around the world. Even when we pray for personal healing and God's help in our lives, it is for the purpose to advance his kingdom purposes within us. So let us pray for the mission with Paul as he prayed in 2 Thessalonians 3.1, that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored. If you watch the news today, you don't see the word of God being honored. You'd be ridiculed or rejected or laughed at or scorned, despised even. Christians supposedly are the troublemakers in the world today. We're, we are the, the guilty party, and we know that we are guilty but we know that we have the hope of Christ to offer. The third step of a church preparing to join the Great Commission is to be watchful and to recognize who God is calling and alert to send them. Where do disciple makers come from? They come from churches. They come from our church. They come from, from any church that's following after Christ. As God begins to transform believers... By his word, he will begin to call them to minister locally to lost neighbors, co-workers, and family members. Raul asked us to pray extensively for him because he was going to get his family together like this and share his testimony with them. And he wanted God to touch his family. God's mission needs people like this or like Timothy who work where the church is established. But the mission of God also needs people like Paul, whose passion was to make God's name known in all the unreached peoples of the world. His ambition was to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. 
As a frontier missionary, Paul was called to go to unreached people where there is no church present to evangelize its own people. There are still thousands of unreached people groups like this who have no access to a gospel-preaching church in their own culture. We need Paul-type missionaries to reach them. Would you pray to God for more of these laborers to go into the field? Then we are to recognize them and confirm them and release them and send them. To send them in a manner worthy of God requires that we desire the glory of Christ to be displayed in mission among all the nations. In this way, we will do all that we can do to support these people who go out for the sake of the name. Spiritually, practically, emotionally, financially, Antioch wasn't focused on survival, but on expansion. And neither should we be. Let me ask you to join with our church in prayer. We all know that prayer is important, but it needs to be prioritized according to its importance. Prayer is life for us to intercede with God together, for us to cast all of our cares upon him, to pray for the gospel of God to impact all of the ills we see on the news each day, and for the Lord to bring revival to the nations. The fourth step, surrender your time, your talents, and resources to give sacrificially to God. As we were singing some of these songs this morning, I was, I was just thinking about this line, of surrendering your time and your talents and your resources to give to God. You know, if you, if you say, God, I belong to you, then everything you've given me belongs to you. Everyone does not have to become a missionary to serve in a foreign land, but everyone should be a fervent supporter of missions and discipleship. In God's eyes, both the goers and the senders are crucial and involved in fulfilling his plan. John tells us in 3 John 8 that both of these are fellow workers with the truth. There's a partnership in giving and receiving. God's heart is to save worshipers from every tribe and nation. Let your heart beat with this on this. As it does, you will want to give for his plan to come to full reality. To send others in a manner worthy of God means you must fight the lie that you are living in such need that your own life consumes all of your own wealth. May the spirit of Paul grip us, which says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. <clears throat> our resources aren't entrusted to us by God for our own private enjoyment only. God has blessed us to be a blessing to others. It is God who says that he who does not sow will not reap. It is God who says that he loves a cheerful giver. It is God who says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. <clears throat> So our generous giving to support those who go on mission to complete the work of God is God's way of, of everyone being blessed. It blesses the receiver to have their needs met. It blesses the giver to be generous to give. Everyone is blessed when we give, as God describes. The wisdom of God, even in giving. 
Paul described this partnership of giving and receiving to the Philippians in Philippians 4.17. I knew I wasn't finished with Philippians. These Philippians had supported foreign missions. And then he said to them, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, some people might be upset with this verse, but it's in the Bible. Because it reveals an important truth about giving. It is a command with a promise. It is much giving is much more than a simple financial transaction between two parties. There is a third party involved and it's God. He is the accountant who increases the fruit credited to the Philippians who supported Paul. God has given his people today the financial resources needed to make disciples and to plant churches around the world. He promises to bless everyone who obeys him by faith. Regardless of church size or congregation economics, every local body can be blessed by giving for the advancement of the gospel. Now, the elders at Gateway have been praying for God's guidance for our investing in the kingdom for some time now. And by us meeting in homes, we, we have some funds available to contribute to the gospel advancement in the world. We have asked the Lord, should we contribute to Bible translation or to storytelling ministries or other things? Given somewhat the unique form and shape of our fellowship, we're thinking, well, maybe God has something a bit different for us to give. Maybe we should invest in Trend World Radio, 450,000-watt radio transmitter so they can reach the entire island of Cuba with the gospel. Maybe there's something in Korea or in China where we should support. Maybe there's something in the 1040 window specifically. The church is going to be making an, uh, an initial investment in church planning in Peru, I'm glad to say. In fact, Preston gave me a check this morning to, to leverage this connection we have with the churches in Peru and in, in Lima and now in Ica. Would you pray with us about this? How Gateway can invest? Maybe it's, maybe it's something more to do with reaching refugees in Europe or in the United States. Where would God have us give? That's an important question. When it comes to missions, there are only three kinds of Christians. Faithful laborers. Faithful senders and the unfaithful disobedient. You either go or you sin or you're disobedient, according to the Great Commission. It's all right not to be a goer, but to be obedient to the Great, great Commission, that makes you a sender. You just cannot ignore Jesus' commands. You can't be so distracted that it, it doesn't register with your mind. Taking the gospel to an unreached people is expensive, uncomfortable, inconvenient, and sometimes even dangerous. But remember, Jesus didn't call you to heaven the moment you were saved. He didn't call you to a life only of comfort and convenience and ease on this earth. But he did call you to take up your cross and die to self. All the time, there are lost people around you who need the gospel, and God has you there to reach them with the gospel. But there are over 2 billion people in the world that have no church. 
no believers, no access to the gospel anywhere near them. And they will never hear of Jesus if no one ever goes. So, church, I ask you this morning, what does God require of you? Why is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Does he want to send you into a new work? Has he renewed your vision to to give, to send others into the harvest? Has he called you to, to pray and to intercede for his work around the globe? Is it time to repent from a lack of dedication to this commission? I just pray that we would we could we could really stop being distracted. How we could enter into a, a, every one of us lives where we we're, we're contributing locally in our own families, in our own marriages, to our own children, to our grandparents, to our own parents, to our neighborhoods, and let God be God. I just ask the church to join the mission to make disciples in every tribe and language. Can we pray? Father, in in some ways, I I feel like I'm preaching to people who know this. Whose hearts beat with yours, Father. For the lost to be be found by Christ. And yet, Lord, I don't want to presume that we have achieved a place where where our obedience, Lord, shines brighter than the sun. Lord, I pray that you do a mighty work among us. Lord, your, your plan to redeem a bride for your son Christ, Jesus Christ, involves reaching every nation, tribe, language on this planet. Because you have sworn that people from all of these areas will be at the great throne room. Not only invited to the great banquet, but Lord, in attendance because Jesus has purchased them. Lord, there's nothing stopping that work from being done except for people to rise up and go. And for others to rise up and send them on their way. Lord, I pray for Gateway and I pray also, Lord, for the church in Peru. That they would see their opportunity in the kingdom of God to rise up. Lord, to be your faithful army. To be your faithful servants, Lord. And Lord, I pray that over the next two weeks that you would watch over Gateway Church in every possible way. Or that you would, um, those that are going, or that you would be in attendance to their daily affairs and lives. Or those who are sending, Lord, you would connect them to what's happening. Lord, even if they don't know every detail of what's going on as the gospel goes forth, may they rejoice, Lord, in, in you that they are being a part 
They are in partnership with the gospel going forth, Lord, in Nazca, Peru. Lord, we, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, because you have called us to be a, an ambassador. You have called us, Lord, to be ambassadors for Christ. And Lord, there's nothing that's going to stop what you intend to do. And you invite us all, Lord, to, to submit and to agree and to engage in your mission. Lord, I ask that you would take my words this morning. You would filter out, Lord, anything that you don't want to have people hear. But, Lord, what you'd have them to remember would be this passage in the book of Acts. Where you launched the mission's ministry that is, that is still not over. Lord, it's, it's still needed to preach the gospel because there are people who have never heard and there are those who have not responded yet. Lord, there's still a need to share the gospel of Christ and mission because people are not worshiping you. They have lost their identities. They've lost the joy of life or they've, they've lost the blessing of obedience to Christ. They've lost reason to live. And the only way to have that is to be born again in Christ Jesus. Now we thank you for the ministry of your spirit here this morning. And we ask your blessing, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.